The probe's brief appearance in normal space was intentionally discreet. The small ship, if it could even be called a ship at less than a meter in length, was designed to be all but undetectable to the technology available to any species it was expected to encounter during its mission. That certainly included the rather primitive species represented by the approaching squadron of nine warships and four support vessels. Had any of the approaching ships been scanning the area roughly 150,000 kilometers to port with their most powerful optical sensors, they might have detected a small flash of light, followed a few seconds later by another. Otherwise, they were provided no warning whatsoever of the devastating attack that was now imminent. The probe's quick reconnaissance of the enemy squadron provided a wealth of data with which to plan an attack. Since the scan was completely passive in nature, there were no detectable sensory missions. With optics, of course, there was no getting around Einsteinian physics. The probe's sensor suite received only a few seconds' worth of new light during its encounter with the enemy ships, but this had been more than enough. The high-resolution scan still covered a spherical volume of space with a diameter of over one million kilometers. Any targeting data beyond that distance was deemed less reliable, but could still be used in case things didn't go exactly as planned during the coming engagement. Now at a safe distance and camouflaged by a particularly dense group of asteroids orbiting between the fourth and fifth planets in the Sol system, the probe rejoined its mothership. Even before the docking process was complete, all of its valuable reconnaissance data had been uploaded, causing the fifty-meter-long mothership to pause momentarily and consider its options. The approaching enemy squadron was composed of well-known ship types with well-known capabilities, with one notable exception. Based on its emissions and power levels, that particular ship did appear to be significantly more advanced than the others, but it was of little consequence. The mothership calculated that it still enjoyed an overwhelming advantage in every category from power generation to shielding, to speed and maneuverability to weapons. The outcome of a confrontation with this enemy was all but certain. No, the real question was the best course of action in support of its mission directives, which was orders of magnitude more complex than destroying the inferior enemy squadron. Over five hundred years earlier, the mothership had been given three directives that would govern its mission for centuries to come. In descending order of priority, they were 1. Neutralize any direct threat to the Polaran Alliance. 2. Cultivate the species inhabiting the third planet of the Sol system, Terra as a Polaran regional proxy. 3. Prevent damage to Polaran property and economic interests, except when in conflict with the first two directives. This includes self-preservation of all Guardian Cultivation Systems, GCS. The Makers were many things, but micromanagers they were not. The Guardians they created had been given wide discretion to interpret both the intent of their mission directives as well as their practical application. Each mission could, after all, last a thousand years or more based on the orbital period of Terra. In the case of the approaching enemy ships, Directives 1 and 3 were not a factor. These primitives clearly represented no direct threat to any member of the Polaran Alliance, at least not yet. Based on the design of their ships, their technology was at least a millennia behind even the most backwater alliance affiliate. Directive 3 actually did evaluate to a non-zero probability, largely due to the unknown capabilities of the previously unknown ship in the enemy formation. Realistically, however, the threat to the Guardian was deemed inconsequential. No, as usual, the problem was Directive 2, how best to cultivate an adolescent race, in this case the Terrans, in such a way that they became the dominant regional power while also creating a sense of loyalty, indebtedness, and dependency upon the Polaran Alliance. 
At the moment, Directive 2 simply implied that the approaching ships could not be allowed to approach Terra, but where the humans were concerned, nothing was ever as simple as it seemed. While they did share the common genetic heritage with the Makers as required of all cultivated species, the Terrans were proving to be a race of petulant, arrogant children that was nearly impossible to control. Cultivation of proxy species had been considered a morally superior method of maintaining regional stability for thousands of years. The system had been codified in various treaties between ancient, immensely powerful civilizations and alliances, and was designed to prevent their ever coming into direct open conflict, the results of which would be unthinkable. It allowed less populated areas to develop along a reasonably natural technological and cultural timeline without the need for excessive intervention. Still, it was sometimes difficult for the GCS to understand why a simple purge of any species deemed a threat to regional stability was not also considered a morally viable option. As the humans illustrated on a daily basis, practical application of cultivation theory was an incredibly delicate and complicated undertaking. The general idea was to choose a species with genetic ties to an alliance member, preferably a civilization developing along a similar cultural path. The selected species was then guided through the most unstable and dangerous portion of their maturing process. This was accomplished primarily through the rapid introduction of key technologies at a rate between 10 and 50 times their projected developmental timeline. Unfortunately, cultivation theory rarely followed a cookbook approach. Deployment of a guard cultivation system depended on a myriad of factors, including the mean intelligence of the species under cultivation, regional galactic population density, and literally thousands of other factors. It was also critical to ensure that the cultivated species did not experience an accidental first contact with another species or premature discovery of non-native technological artifacts. On average, a species received guardianship approximately three to five hundred years before its first tentative steps into interstellar space. How long the GCS loitered in the region depended in large part on how quickly the cultivated species reached the required level of self-sufficiency and regional supremacy. In the case of the humans, it had sometimes